This is the Kingdom Link Podcast. Wherever you are, whatever your age, no matter your calling, we invite you to join the Kingdom Link. Now let's get connected with a brand new podcast. Welcome everybody. We're going to go ahead and get started today. We're really excited for this new series that we're starting and that's entitled Kingdom Strategies. And how we're going to be covering that is old tactics that bring us new victory. And what I mean by that is that these kingdom strategies come out of the book of Revelation. And especially in the second chapter where Jesus deals with the seven churches of Revelation. Right. And so from today, we're going to be seeing how we tie into the scripture in -hmm. Revelations 2 and applying it to today and seeing how we can use that today entitled Old Tactics, New Victory. So right now we're going to be starting on with Ephesus. I'm excited about this because I believe that each church, each of the seven churches present to us different problems, different issues, both within and without. Um, Culture wars that we're facing today, the Antichrist spirit that we're facing today is nothing new. It has been on the forefront since since Christ. because yeah, they were preaching about it when the book was written. Yeah, Yes. Um, I think it's very important to, to know that Paul put it uh, clearly, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Um, I think this is a the progressive will of God is seen in new strategies, new tactics that he already has presented in his in his word. Now, I think before we jump into uh, uh, the 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 church of Ephesus, we need to lay just a little foundation for what Revelation is, because it's a heavy book. Well, it is, and a lot of people run from it, and I I still do. Well, yeah. I mean, there, it, we're not all Bishop Walls here. No, um, get his commentary <laughs> on the book of Revelation, yeah. but um, the Bible is not a religious book. The Bible is a book about a kingdom. It's a government book, really. And um, ultimately, how we see the world should be shaped through what, what the Word of God teaches us. Uh, George Barna, who is a, a Christian pollster, said this, a biblical worldview is thinking like Jesus. It is a way of making our faith practical to every situation we face each day. A biblical worldview is a way of dealing with the world such that we act like Jesus 24 hours a day because we think like Jesus. I think we'll learn that in the seven letters that Jesus wrote to the churches. Mm-hmm. And at least get us another step further. Yes. Because that's a that's a big ask. That is a big ask to, to take Then again, a, that's what we're called to do. Yes. We're to be like Christ in a messed up world. Um, revelation is the unveiling or the revealing of Jesus Christ. It is not John's revelation. It's Jesus revelation. And Satan hates the whole word of God, but oh my, how he hates revelation. If for no other reason, it shows his ultimate end. Yeah. It shows his date. It shows his date that his date is done. Mm -hmm. And so the whole book of revelation is written to these seven churches that, that, this message was to be shared right. to these seven churches in Asia Minor, which is now modern-day Turkey. It was written somewhere around 95 into 96 B.C. It's very important because this is the last word of the book and is written by the last living apostle, the Apostle John, that was around somewhere close to 100 years old, lived to be 100 years old thereabout. And it's written some 65 years after the resurrection of Christ. So we find that uh, the Gospels had already been written. Mm-hmm. The book of Acts had already been written. The epistles of Paul had already been written. Right. Some- so what we see is that it's so subsequently a lifetime after the death and resurrection of yes. Jesus Christ. Yes. It's, it's, uh, it's a generation removed from the right. resurrection of Jesus Christ. And and. They couldn't kill John the Apostle. They tried to put him in Good Lord, they tried. Yeah, they put, put him. They, they, there are some historical records that tell us that uh, John was preaching while in a vat of boiling oil, mm. and they couldn't shut him up. So uh, they decided to put him, Diocletius decided to put him on Patmos, an island that, that was where the exiles went. Right. 
But while he was there, he was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and he sees this great vision. And in this great vision, he sees seven golden candlesticks. Now, mm-hmm. a lot of people, and this is my opinion, but a lot of people look at this as the menorah. But right. if you'll notice, it's plural, seven golden candlesticks. I, I tend to believe that they are singular candlesticks that represent a singular church because the Lord said, I'll take you out. Right. You know, so each candlestick would then represent rep- each church. Represent each church. And then he sees one standing in the middle of it, the Son of Man. He's Jesus Christ the King, the right. head of the church, and he's wearing a long robe down to his feet and a sash or a girdle about his his chest, speaking of his authority and his mm-hmm. power. His hair, he sees him as white as snow, symbolizing maturity and dignity. His eyes are like a flame of fire where he sees all. He is, he's aware of it all, and his feet, interestingly, are like brass glowing in the refiner's fire. That means brass, wherever you see brass in Scripture, all the way back to the Old Testament tabernacle, you will find that brass deals with judgment, judgment, mm-hmm. and his voice is as the roar of many waters, and in his hand he has the seven stars, which the seven stars are the seven messengers or angels. Right are pastors to the seven churches. I think that's such a sweet imagery of Jesus. Yeah. Because from the very top of his head to the soles of his feet, you see that on his head he is uh, crowned with maturity and dignity. He is clothed with authority. Yes. That he can see all, that he walks in judgment, that when he speaks that it's raging. Yeah. And it's powerful that in his hand are then these seven stars. You just... You can just start to picture it in your yeah. mind, and it's nothing but power. And 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 a two-edged sword is coming out of his mouth. Yeah. Now a lot of people, you know, think, well, man, this is this is a crazy revelation. But the imagery is exactly what you're saying. Mm-hmm. It is to present Jesus Christ to us right. in such a way that it blows our mind. Well, and how can you describe the undescribable? Uh-huh. I think that that was a hard task. To a finite mind. To a finite mind. Taking yes. what's not just infinite, mm-hmm. because the infinite, the word infinite cannot describe Jesus mm-hmm. because he is bigger than infinite. <laughs> and so our tiny little carnal minds try to picture God, Yes, and we can't. So John helps us a little bit here, <laughs> but even this imagery... Blows your mind. Blows your mind. Blows your mind. And it's still not enough. Yeah. And so he depicts these these seven churches as these lampstands that are holding the light. That's the, the glorious gospel of Jesus mm-hmm. Christ. Ye are the light of the world. Right. And they're holding it. They're not the light, but they're right. holding the But they're the holding light. the light, which yeah. I think is so insanely cool because you just think that just bounces back all throughout Scripture. Be a city on a hill yeah. whose light cannot be covered. Yeah, I mean, it's not our light. We're the city on the uh-huh. hill, but we don't hold the light. Absolutely. And I just think that that's so neat, bouncing, you know, again, you pull a thread in Genesis and the pages in Revelation <laughs> fold. Isn't God good? His word is awesome. Now, the seven churches represent a particular, they, rep- they are speaking particularly to seven distinct local churches in Asia Minor. Just like our local assemblies. That lets me know that God is concerned about local assemblies. Mm. There are local assemblies. And then he is also speaking to churches today, local churches today. Mm -hmm. He's speaking to movements today. He's speaking to individuals in this. Right. That you have these. He literally hits everybody. Everything. With these letters. And you'll notice when we get to these seven churches, you're going to find representations of wealthy churches. Right. Poor churches. You're going to find churches that were big. Everywhere in between. and Churches that were dealing with colleges and university town mentality and right. the, the secular institutions of that day. And it's just amazing that each one of these can help point us in the right direction. But Jesus Christ is a central figure. This is his church. Absolutely. He's in the middle of it. He's the head. He has all power and authority. And these letters to the seven churches are packed with powerful insights and intelligence. You know, we can think of this as military strategy. Mm-hmm. He gives us intelligence right. to know how to win. And, and he uses the word repeatedly, overcome. Mm-hmm. Overcome. Now, there's three things that I want to point out before we jump into Ephesus, and we're getting ready to rock and unpack 
Ephesus. But three things that are always prevalent in each of these churches. There's a presentation. Right. Our revelation of Jesus Christ. There is a problem revealed. And then there is a promise given. Mm. All three all three of these things are in every seven churches to some degree. Right. And uh, I thank the Lord for it. It's been an interesting study. Uh, and I'm looking forward to doing this on a unique level here mm-hmm. at Kingdom Link. Absolutely. So with starting with Ephesus, I think one thing to understand that beginning with Ephesus is that where John is geographically, yeah. he's on an island yeah. of Patmos. He's not in the mainland like these churches are. Right. And one thing that I heard that I thought was very interesting is that the path and the route that these letters go. If you read Revelations 2 and you watch and see when Jesus talks to all of these churches, that the route that he takes, the path that he takes, mm-hmm. is the same route that you would if you were a mailman, yeah. a carrier. Yeah. And so he's literally hitting them as you would go along. Right. And so we begin at the port city of yes. Ephesus. Yes. So Ephesus being, you know, this huge, large seaport in Asia. Yeah. You know, at this time, it's the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire. Yeah, it had 250,000 people. Can you imagine? That is probably indicative of of two or three million, five million people right. a day in comparison to then. the population. Absolutely. Yeah. Then, And so if you understand that you're the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire, mm-hmm. talk about the hatred to the Jews. Mm-hmm. Again, this is one generation removed of Jesus Christ mm-hmm. where the Romans still have some belief that they still got the victory over Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's known as the gateway by which the West visited the East. Yeah, it's like you said, it's a starting point. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the map, it almost looks like a horseshoe that you start at Ephesus and you go up, you know, to Smyrna. Right. You go up, you go around to Pergamum, mm-hmm. and then all the way down until finally Laodicea. It's right. just like a kind of like a, a uh, upside-down U. Right, and so... Obviously, with this being the biggest port city of these seven uh, cities. So then, what we can understand is that situated on the mouth of the Caister River on the Aegean Sea, and it's in the region of Ionia. Mm-hmm. Guys, I'm not a Greek scholar, so <laughs> I'm trying Some of here. these words sometimes are just yeah, they're right. tongue twisters. But the, the location is important. It is very important. Because with it being a port city... Mm-hmm. Not just goods are coming in, not just resources are coming right. in, people are coming people. in, yeah. ideologies are coming in, yeah. religions are coming in, yes. and they're not just coming in, they're going. Yeah. So literally the whole world is using Ephesus as a funnel yeah. to whatever it is, goods, yeah. uh, resources, you know, food, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But then you've got the spiritual and the evil aspects of yes. false religion you know, idols and everything like that. Now, uh, the word Ephesus literally means to let go or to relax. Mm. It's a release. Yes. It was a wealthy port city with huge homes built on the hillside. Yes. So this is a well-populated and a wealthy area. Yes. Think think for a moment. I would put this into uh, the largest port in America is Los Angeles. Think of, of of Ephesus as being LA. Right. And the and the teeming of different cultures that are mm-hmm. there and everything that's coming in, the goods that are coming in. It's really the first place yeah. uh in Rome that the whole world goes to yeah. in one little point. Now from there they go in mainland, they spread out, but it all funnels down to Ephesus. You know what strikes me is that at this starting point it's interesting Jesus starts here because it says, like, okay, here's the gospel starting point. Mm-hmm. It's going to spread. Right. Because we know a lot about Ephesus because Acts records. Right. Paul records a lot in Ephesus. He he has a letter to, to the Ephesians in mm-hmm. Ephesus. And when you begin to read the letter and knowing that that is to that church, you begin to see some of the cultural issues and some of the things that he's right. addressing for that and for us today. Right. Well, and another thing about Ephesus is that it was a city that was known for its intellect. Mm-hmm. You know, just because like what we were talking about just a minute ago, it's a booming city with plenty of resources. It's a port city. 
And so anybody wanting to get into mainland Asia Minor, mm-hmm. they've got to come in through Ephesus. Mm-hmm. So would that not be a place of collection? Yes, it would. So it collect. It was known to have a large library that held over twelve thousand scrolls. Can you imagine that? The day. So education had a stronghold there. Information, education. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So can you can you kind of see? You know, you pick up this this phone right here, mm-hmm. and you understand that that is kind of like an Ephesus to yeah. us through the world. Yeah. That's the funnel that information gets to us. Well, in the history and the facts of Ephesus to me and studying it makes it real. These are real people, real town, mm-hmm. real thing. The remains of Ephesus or the ruins of Ephesus are there. They're, but they're five, three to five miles inland because the river had so eroded that it pushed it from being a port city to, to eventually over right. time it is now inland. But, um, Ephesus is an exciting place. It's one of the earliest churches, one of the first churches mm-hmm. uh, in the in the beginning of the apostolic uh, age. It was established by Paul. Read Acts nineteen. Here he found the disciples of John the Baptist, and he asked them that question: "Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe?" And then they were rebaptized in the name of Jesus. Paul taught daily in the synagogue until they kicked him out. Then he went and taught in the school or the lecture hall of Tyrannus. And this is where the seven sons of Siva, the traveling Jewish exorcist, attempted to mimic Paul and casting out evil spirits. Now, that lets you know that Paul was casting out evil spirits, and they were watching him, and they wanted to do it like him. And that's where we get that, Paul, I know, the demon Mm -hmm. cried out, Paul, I know, and Jesus, I know, but I know who are you. Uh, but many believe the gospel. They begin to burn their black magic arts. They begin to burn their occultic books in 19 in nineteen of Acts. It was so powerful of a revival that the people that were making money off of the of the of the pagan goddess Diana, they, the, there was a man, a silversmith by the name of Demetrius, that stirred up the people against Paul because he was losing money. Now, when you have a revival that's shutting down bars and shutting down uh, drug dealers and you shutting down those kind of things, man, that's a mighty revival. Well, not just that. Paul's got a reputation here because remember before him and Silas were thrown into prison, yeah. he they cast that spirit out of the woman, yep. and they only got mad because they saw that their income was gone. It was messing the woman that was using there was being used as a fortune teller, yeah. basically. So Paul really just likes to steal the money of the evil people, yeah. and they get mad at him. Well, wherever Paul went, you either had revival or yeah, riot. Yeah, yeah, Paul was... Revival or riot. Yeah. And usually it was both. Yeah, you know, well, it's Paul. <laughs> yes. But he ministers for three years collectively. Uh, you'll find in the book of Acts and study. And, and actually, Timothy became the pastor, the elder of Ephesus. Which is so interesting to me. Yeah that the almost adopted son of yeah. Paul would become the son, uh, the pastor of this first early church in yeah. Ephesus. I just think that's so awesome to see. Well, you, you, it, that, that teaches you how strategic and powerful that church was. Oh, absolutely. And so we find that uh, Timothy has Mark that joins him and helps him there. It is believed that John was considered to be the bishop of the church. And ultimately, he is buried, said to be buried in Ephesus. Right. You know, they they say that in Patmos, on a good, clear day, you could have seen Ephesus. Let's let's take a moment right here. <laughs> he and, loved and, John. Loved Ephesus. He loved Ephesus. But could you imagine being the members of this church? <laughs> you have the disciples of John the Baptist. Yes. So you have straight connection to the man in the wilderness. The cousin mm-hmm. of Jesus Christ, the, the greatest Savior. prophet that Jesus says has ever been. Yes, yeah. and then you have Paul, mm-hmm. by far probably the greatest apostle in the Scripture, mm-hmm. as your uh, leader and pastor. Mm-hmm. Then you have Timothy, his beloved son, yeah, to be your pastor, and then you have John. Yeah, that and is a lineage of power going that, through that church. It was it was an incredible church, and we're going to get into its power. It's powerful belief in doctrine. Mm-hmm. It had a 
incredible, You can't have ministers like that and not doctrine. have strong doctrine. Yeah, yeah, they were very strong. And so in these churches, they had battles without and battles within that Jesus addresses. Right. The battle without is found in the pagan worship of the goddess Diana. Right. She was the fertility deity who was worshipped by immoral sexual acts. Mm-hmm. They worshipped her because they thought that, and and um, just a, a heads up on on the rating here, this may get a little PG-13, but um, they would go, and part of the temple of, of Diana, let me just say this, the temple of Diana was massive. Mm-hmm. It was four times larger than the Parthenon in Athens, and it was regarded as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Well, I wanted to say this, is that wherever you have... They were known to have that large library with over 12,000 scroll, scrolls. Wherever you have large input of knowledge mm-hmm. from of this world, you're going to have a large input of false doctrine, Ooh. of Im, Im, immoral acts, of idols. Yeah, there, That's just almost a promise. So to see that this goddess Diana having a huge following is no surprise I mean, like you said earlier, mm-hmm. compare it to modern day LA. Yeah. Look at the look at the immortality culture there. or the moral acts over there. Yeah. I think that's a great comparison uh to 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 modern uh, Ephesus to modern day LA. But uh one thing about the Princess Diana is that uh she's worshipped by other names in different uh uh languages and different cultures and and there's variations of this but diana was pictured as this female that had a chest full of multiple breasts it it, it was very uh sexual and seductive and inside the temple of diana the goddess diana was a bank Hmm. and a brothel yeah because that's Two things that mm. you honestly see go together. Yeah, and, and so what they believed is that if they wanted to have fertile family, mm-hmm. then a man needed to go in and be with one of the temple prostitutes. Okay? And do you see the convoluted thinking? Right. The convoluted thinking about fertility. Do we not see that today? Mm-hmm. The convoluted thinking about abortion Oh, absolutely. is that I can have free sex. Mm-hmm. I can do whatever I want, and it affects the fertility. Right. I'm, I'm doing my air quotes here. The fertility mm-hmm. of a person's choice. Well, not just that. I mean, obviously, abortion is the hot topic right now. Ooh, it but is. you go back into 30, 40 years ago mm-hmm. when the big topic was people sleeping with their bosses to get better promotions. Yeah. That is the same idol. It's the same idol. It's using sex as a worship and a, and exactly. a stepping stone to exactly to to some kind of prosperity. It's just like when you begin worshiping that idol, you don't get to dictate where it ends. Yeah, and and so Diana was the patroness, the goddess of sexual instinct, and had a strong influence in the political, social, and economic uh, parts of the city. They had great festivals and games. Again, there was a big huge arena there and that was part of their worship parades and parties and orgies and and a huge part of of all of this was was connected to the worship of goddess diana it's interesting that also music was a big part of mm. the worship of the goddess diana and we we see the the perversion of music today and has been for years but uh the idolatry of diana blurred blurred the understanding of what real love was and what sex and marriage was all about. It was perversion. It was. To its truest form. Yeah. So so what we're seeing today is nothing new. And I, I want to say this. Spirits don't die. They just, just change their name. They just change their name. They just, you know, uh, just new clothes. Yep. Different, different way of wearing, mm-hmm. different way of presenting. But... Uh, when you begin to study what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 5, and he talks about family, mm-hmm. he talks about marriage, and he talks about these issues of children, he's saying, listen, that definition of family mm-hmm. is not correct. Here is right. the true understanding of family. 
Right. And so that 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 is what we see is going on in the culture. So they're they're wrestling with this. No wonder they were a real strict became a strict doctrinal church. Absolutely, you got to. Again, you think of a cesspool of mm-hmm. idolatry, a cesspool of perversion and just all sorts of nastiness. Yeah. Just being truthful is just nasty. You've got to stand firm. If you if you yeah. don't want to fall down the slippery slippery slope, you have to be founded on a rock. So you've got to be solid in something. And why not in Jesus Christ? Well, I want to just cover just a little bit more about Diana because that helps us understand uh, some more of the of the of the depth of the problem that they faced with. They faced without uh, manners and customs. You know, writes this one historian says first and last. Speaking of the temple of Diana, it it took them two hundred and twenty years to build to come to the complete fi- final. Uh, completion of it it had shiny marble it was 342 feet long it had it was 164 feet broad so it was longer than a football field almost over three times the width of a football field um it was supported by a forest of columns uh each 56 feet high a sacred museum of masterpiece of sculptures and painting was there uh, at the center, hidden behind curtains within a, a gorgeous shrine, stood the very ancient image of the goddess Diana. Uh, we find that behind the shrine was the treasury, where it is known as the safest bank in Asia. Kings would come and bank there, and behind that was this worship of, of sexual perversion. Now, to to the Romans, it was Diana. To the Greeks, it was Artemis. Uh, and such a, a, a depth of perversion, the idolatry, again, of Diana, blurred sex, love, and marriage. Right. We see that today. Well, and I think one thing is that back then, it was hard to prove that you were not a worshiper mm-hmm. of Princess Diana mm-hmm. because you were seen at the... yeah. At the temple, you were seen there at the mm-hmm. bank. You were seen at the brothels, and so comparing that to today, how many people are worshiping that spirit, mm-hmm. and nobody knows? Yeah, yeah. because it's, it's all again, hidden. again, it's right here on this phone yeah. that that nobody sees that you could be worshiping that idol, or just in your heart you can be yeah. doing it. But I think it's also very public with all of the the ranting and raving and the anger. Of the Babylon soup crowd. Oh, absolutely! It, it's, it's it's in our face. It's we want to redefine marriage. Mm-hmm. Who do you to tell me what marriage is? And then you start you, going down music, yeah, and, and, and secular music. Then you start yes. going into parades, and that doesn't even need to be described. <laughs> I mean, yes, it, you're reading the list off of what's going on today. And they were facing it then. Mm-hmm. They, they were facing history tells us that they were facing prejudice against the Jews right. and the Christians. Uh, there was the pride of human learning, right. the influence of popular idolatry, and the manipulation of pagan priesthoods, and the effects of riches, and the sensual indulgence of, of prosperity that came across them. It's the thinking of, it's all about me. Yeah, I don't care yeah. any of responsibility. Absolutely. I don't care any circumstances. It's all about me. Yeah. And, and so Jesus comes, and here's what he says. Go write this letter, and it's to the pastor of Ephesus, and he says, I am the one that holds the seven stars in my right hand. Mm-hmm. He said, and I walk in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Right. So what Jesus reveals to the church of Ephesus is that I'm the one speaking to the church. Right. Not, not, not Diana. Right. Not the culture. Mm-hmm. Not anything else. I am the one speaking. I'm cutting through the noise. I'm cutting through the noise. He is in control of the messenger, not culture. Yep. So we should not be following the parade of trends. Nope. But what is Jesus saying in the central theme to the church? What does his word say? He's not only present and walking among the churches, he is in control of it. Jesus said it like this, upon this rock I will build my church. Mm -hmm. My church, he said. Right. And the the powers of hell shall not stand against it. And to me, I think that is very, 
uh, a great revelation. Like I said, every church he reveals himself, mm-hmm. and then he goes into, okay, let me tell you who you are. Right. Let me tell you what your problem is. Absolutely. I think that verse 1, right there in Revelation 2, mm-hmm. I know we just kind of glossed over it for a second, but that is a powerful verse. Yes. Just verse 1. Not, not even getting into Ephesus entirely, not even getting into the the problem, the diagnosis, the solution, and the promise, not even dealing with that. That first verse, it really stood out to me in my study for this podcast, and it says like this, unto the angel of mm-hmm. the church of Ephesus, right? Yes. And we know that that phrase doesn't inherently mean that it was an angel that it right. was written to, correct? Yeah. Or to convey that message. But that Greek word, I, I'd have it in my notes somewhere else, but I didn't have it just exactly. But that Greek word there, angel, it speaks of both angel yes. and man. Yes, it can be an angelic being and a human being. Correct. And so he's... So you can read it like this. Unto the man of the church of Ephesus. Yeah. Write this. So when you think of it like this, there is a reason why Jesus chose man to deliver this message mm-hmm. other than an angel. Yeah. Maybe because it's not just for the defying of the church mm-hmm. or or the edifying of the church. Right. But it's the solidifying of the messenger. Yes. Because think of the man who's writing this. Yeah. John on a prison island. Right. All by himself. Hmm. And yet in the midst of that, he is completely alone. Yeah. He has no friends, no access to his church that he worked so hard for. Yeah. Not no access to the disciples, mm-hmm. no access to anyone else. He's all alone, yet God did not forgive his pur- or forget his purpose. Yeah. And so he's saying, so to the man, to the man. John, yeah. write this in Ephesus. Yeah. And so it's so encouraging to know that John in the midst of a prison island yeah he can say I'm writing I'm telling you to write this for the church yeah but this is also going to edify you because you're fulfilling your purpose even in the middle of a prison island yeah wow you know and John had to wonder that the 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 age of most people would live would be in their 50s right in that hour mm-hmm. John lives twice as that, but God had a reason for him because that booger wouldn't he, die. Yeah. Well, he wasn't going to die until God was finished with him. Mm-hmm. And this, this was his, his assignment and his purpose. Right. And, um, but anyway, so Jesus in, in verse two through three, he begins to unpack what he thinks of the church and what he sees about the church at Ephesus. He says, I know thy works. That means they were a serving church. They were active. They were industrious. They were accomplished. They were doing their job. They were progressing. They were doing ministry right. and doing it well. So you're as a serving church. He said, I know thy labor. That means they were a sacrificing church. Um, this word labor means intense labor, united with trouble and toll and hardship. If you're going to work in the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. you're going to have some toil. Oh, absolutely. Ministry does not come without challenges and without sacrifice. Right. And so... Well, could you imagine being this church in Ephesus? Uh-huh. Not even just a leader in the church, but a, a, just a congregate, mm-hmm. an actual saint within this church, thinking, I have worked so hard to live right. Yeah, This church has worked hard to live right. We've done what we can. Mm-hmm. And then you have the creator of heaven saying, I know what you've done. I know, I know that you're working hard. Yeah. I see that you're laboring. I see your patience. Yeah, And could you imagine the beginning of this? It's such affirmation. It was. And it, such encouragement. Because he said, I know your patience. Mm-hmm. I know your steadfastness. I know that your patience here is the word endurance. I, I know that you're solid, you're faithful, you're consistent. Mm-hmm. And and he also said, I know that you cannot bear them which are evil. So it's a separated church. It's a holy church. It's, right. a, it's a church of conviction. It's a church of standards. Mm-hmm. It's a church that, that didn't bow to the culture of the world that they were living in. And he told him, he said, I know that you have tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and has found them liars. Is that a thing? True. Is, is, is that a thing? Ooh. Is that a thing to say, 
Okay, somebody says they're an apostle mm-hmm. just because they say they're an apostle doesn't mean they are. Does not mean right. they're an apostle. That's exactly. Well, right. somebody get that message today. <laughs> and and then he said, I, I I know that you hate the deeds of Nicolaians, which I also hate. It, they're they're a church that fight. Mm-hmm. They're a church that is in battle. They're a church that it's stands. True to who they are. He's he's encouraging them. He's giving them condemnation. Then in verse four, he goes to. Nevertheless, 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 that in today's word, it would be, but (laughs) I have something against you because you have left your first love. Mm. They were very, we would say that Ephesus would be an ultra conservative church, Mm. strong doctrinally. Right, strong biblically. How can you not be when you got Paul, you got Timothy, you've got you're John, be set in your and you're going to be Mark that has been your foundation for thirty five years, right? And now they are solid fighting the Nicolaitans, mm-hmm. fighting their culture, being active in ministry and succeeding, but ministry became their love, the doctrine became their love. Mm-hmm. And the Lord said, you didn't lose your first love. Right. You left it. You left it. So they you had, walked away you from You walked it. away from that. Right. And, and to me, I think, man, that's a powerful message to those of us that are so interested and committed to truth. Yeah. It is a hard line to walk because we are called to be separate. We are called to stand out. Mm-hmm. We are called to holiness. We are called to standards. Mm-hmm. But we have a mission. Yeah. And so that's not saying that you do one instead of the other. Yeah. You can't leave that first love. No, you can't. You can't walk away from it. They go hand in hand. Yeah. It's a lot easier. I'll be honest, as a preacher, it's a lot easier to get up and preach holiness. Mm. You'll get a lot more hand claps and amens if you start preaching standards and everything like that. Everybody that everybody agrees on. That every yeah. Yeah. Well, that everybody agrees on yeah. is just like they raw raw around that. Yeah. And people have their soap boxes and they mm-hmm. have their special things. But here's the deal is that I seen it today in today's church, strong doctrinal churches, strong Bible standard holy preaching churches but they don't have love. Mm. And what did Paul say? Right. He said, then that's a tinkling cymbal mm. and a clanging gong. Because he said, if you, don't have yeah. black, if you don't have love. and and, But it really speaks of their intimacy with Christ right. because it's the intimacy with Christ that produces agape love. Right. And so they had abandoned their crazy mm. radical Love for Christ. Well, and you look at it again. We're comparing old tactics to new victory. Yeah. So while we're talking about this, think of what's going on in the world right now that you can see mm-hmm. and apply it to what was happening in Ephesus. What you were just saying, Dad, in that Ephesus, the church was strong. Like you would compare it to a strong conservative church. Mm-hmm. You can scroll on Facebook. And see people while these so-called Babylon Brew parades are going on. You mm-hmm. see the far right. Mm-hmm. Then they're not acting out in love. No, they're not. They, they say they're Christians, yet they're not acting like Christ. No. And so you can see that. You can see it today. Just yeah. like John is writing here in Revelation 2. Mm-hmm. Is that just because you look the part. If you don't have love, yeah, then all you're serving, all this is. Here's what I've come to realize is that ministry without love produces monsters as leaders. Well, Jesus boiled it down. Yeah. He said, to Moses, I gave ten commandments. And to you, I'm not taking away from the commandments. I'm not taking away from the law. But if I could boil them down, it's love me and love people. Mm-hmm. That's that's That's... That's it. That's it. If you love God, you'll mm-hmm. keep his standards and your his holiness. Yes. If you love people, then you will preach the gospel to them in love, not yeah. in hate. Yeah. That's as simple as that. 
Jesus didn't take away from the law. He almost subcategorized that under two things. Love God. That means I'm not going to have any idols. That means I'm not going to worship yeah. Princess Diane, Di- Goddess Diane, whatever it is, and love people. That means I'm not going to be a jerk to people that I'm trying to right. witness to. Absolutely. And just because we disagree, or we're just because, let me, let me back up, because we're battling that spirit that was at Ephesus today, mm-hmm. we're battling that spirit is we are not battling the people. No. That is manifesting that spirit. We're not battling them. Right. Please get that. Let's 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 make sure we don't hate the people. No, it, and we hate the sin. But we and we hate that 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 culture that rises from the pits of hell. It it's rises one of those riots the, that Paul would stir up every now and then. <laughs> yes, um, but um, I, I I don't want Jesus to say, "You said to me, Lord, Lord." Mm. But I never knew you. What that means is I don't know you intimately. Right. I don't know you in that that arena of first love. I I know you're. I know you've got a good ministry. I know your holiness standards. I know your faithfulness. I know your doctrinal stance. Mm-hmm. I know you're fighting and warring, but I don't know you. Mm. And and today, if we're going to to deal with an outside culture, we've got to have that first love coming out again. Right. So, so what's the strategy? What how do we this? take all how, that from how, Ephesus? How do we take all that and boil it down into the strategy? So and, we had the old tactic. Yeah. How do we get our new victory well, out of that? Well, here's what here's what the strategy was that Jesus gave from Revelation two and five. Remember three key words he says here in Revelation two and five. Remember from whence thou art fallen, and repent. And do the first works, or else, listen to this, I will come quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. The church Paul started, the church that Timothy pastored, the church that Mark worked in, the church that John worked in, Jesus said, unless you get this corrected. The candlestick's going out. It's going. I'm going to remove you Mm -hmm. from that, that purpose. And so he said three things. Remember. Reflect on previous victories. Reflect on how your passion used to keep you. And uh, reflect on your need of intimacy and how that you had had walked with God. And it's it, it and it's a natural sequence. We can have great revival. And man, it's about passion. It's about prayer. It's about love. And then we move into that, that doctrinal phase. And then we move into that pharisaical phase. And he says, listen, church, I love you. But you need to fix some things within. Right. And that means remember and then repent. Mm. Change your mind, change your thinking, change your direction. 80 degrees. Go differently. And then he said something interesting, redo. That means do your first works. If you want to have your first love, you have to go back to your first works. So that's the strategy. That's the strategy to deal with. I think before we can deal with the culture without, we have to, have to, we have to deal with the problem within. Absolutely. Because if we want to be a thriving church, if we want to have a thriving ministry, Mm -hmm. we can't just have the things that are easy to dictate on the outside. Right. We've got to take a look on the inside. You know, David said, we talked about this in our last podcast, search me, oh God, know my thoughts. Right, right. And he, he was saying, you know, look on the inside of me and find my faults. Look on the inside. That's a hard thing to do. It is a hard thing to do. But then he gives every church. And this lets me know that even if you're 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 a messed up ultra conservative, doctrinally strong, uh, very word-based fundamentalist, uh, orthodox type church. Like Ephesus. That has left your first love, mm-hmm. there's hope for you. Yep. There's, there's a hope. promise. There's hope for you. And but you have to remember. You have to repent, repent and redo and redo. And then he said in Revelation one and seven, he gives the promise. He says, "He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says of the churches." That is when intimacy returns. You're going to hear mm-hmm. when you renew that first love. You're going to hear the Spirit speaking, and the Spirit is saying to him that overcometh, "Well, I get to, I give to eat." A gift to eat. What is he saying? I'm going to realign your appetite. I'm going to realign your appetite. I'll give you to eat of the tree of life in the midst of the paradise of God. The promise here 
is always connected to one's ability to be spirit-led. And the first love being left hampers that ability to hear the spirit. So God began with a romance in the garden, and man had the tree of life, and he ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which the Lord said, don't eat it. And so that romance was broken. And in the, in the garden, that's where it all began. And he says, I'll bring you back to that romance if you get your first love. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to bring you, get your romance rekindled. And God said, I'll bring you back to the place of perpetual intimacy with me. Right. In the tree of life. I'm going I'm to bring you back to that in the midst of the paradise of God. So the, what, that, that's the promise that God gave them if they would remember, repent, and redo. Mm-hmm. If you want to fight Diana and the culture, you got to have a baptism right. of love. And when you think of that, remember, you know, the Bible says we overcome by the word of the, of the Lord and the word of our testimony. Mm-hmm. Remember what God's done in your life. Yes. He has taken you. He has helped you. He has redeemed you. He has saved you. You know, if you are like us here at Medora, we're getting close to 109 years that this church has been here. Yes. And then we can look back on to decades before, to the very beginning of our church, revival that broke out. So when we're in our lulls, when uh, church isn't really going like we think it ought to, Mm -hmm. when we can remember. Remember. Remember what God did for us. We can say, God, whatever's not working, it's on our end. God wouldn't remove himself from the church. Yeah. God wouldn't remove himself from a people that is seeking him. Mm-hmm. So God, get us out of the way. Clean us up. Yes. Get our flesh under subjection. You know, We repent. We want to turn away. Mm-hmm. All right, now that that's cleared up, let's get back to the basics. What works? Let's get this church up yes. and going again. Let's redo what God told us yeah. to do. Those promises and these commandments that God's given to us, let's do it. But let's do them in love. Yes. And and the scripture says that we are to preach the truth in love. Right. And I think that that love right now, some people just you know look at it and say, you know, oh, you you're just being lovey dovey and and it, no. He did, he did not condemn them for their strong doctrine. No. He did not condemn them for their... I know your work. He said, I know what you are. You're a faithful church. You're mm-hmm. a steadfast church. You're, you're a strong, uh, believing... You, you've held up against the Nicolaitans. Right. He said, but nevertheless, I have one thing that you... We can't afford to be so doctrinally sound that we forget that we ought to be intimately strong. Right, right. And, and we can't forget the mission. No. Well, this is this is kind of what we're talking about doing in this series is unpacking a church, looking at it historically, looking at it uh, through Scripture. And uh, you and I can learn lessons from Ephesus. Our church here, you already said, we're a very, um, in, by most standards, a very long church. Uh, we're a founded church. A founded church. We are we are a very solid church. We are Correct. a very doctrinally strong church. But we must continue to let the fires of of relationship and intimacy with right. Christ grow. Right. Lest he say, mm-hmm. I'll move you. I'll come quickly. I will come quickly and I'll pull your candlestick out. Right. Man, that's a word. Yeah. Well, we hope this was helpful today. Yes. Like I I said, we have been getting this kingdom strategies. This is what we're doing, guys. We're trying to keep it mission-minded. Yes. By going to Revelation, we're getting some old tactics, Mm -hmm. equipping the modern-day warrior to help you get a new victory. So so this blueprint today was from Ephesus. Yeah. If you're dealing with Goddess Diana, you could see the she plagues this world. Yes, she does. She is toxic in L.A. She is toxic in Hollywood, all over this world. Yes. Stand true in your doctrine. Stand true in your holiness. But preach God's love. Yes. And you will see his promise like he did in Ephesus. Yes. And and I'm excited about the next episode that's coming up. We're looking forward to stepping into the church at Smyrna. Absolutely. And it's a totally different situation. At a totally different uh, issue, and we look forward to that. And um, 
I, I certainly appreciate you listening and being a part of it. Enjoy this. And so let's get ready for episode two in our kingdom strategies. Right. Another thing that we want to put a pick, quick plug in, we here at this church believe 100% that Bishop Walls is probably one of the greatest authors when it comes to the book of Revelation. Mm-hmm. I've seen him teach on this book and never open a Bible and just yeah. start quoting like he had just, I don't know, so spe- synced it so into amazing. his bionic mind or something. <laughs> so what we're going to do to help you guys out, we are going to put a link below wherever you're listening to this podcast yeah. so that you can go get his commentary on Revelation. Mm. You need it. Yeah. If you're like me, you definitely need it because Revelation could be a hard book to understand. Sure can. But he helps so much and brings such light to this wonderful book. Yes. That gives us so many victories that can show us so many things. So again, there's going to be a link to, to the book. Go get it. Go get some of his other books. And we're really excited for what God's going to do through this series. I'm really excited. I can already see some progress in my thinking. Amen. And and also, David, let's put a link on our Facebook page, Kingdom Link Podcast. Absolutely. Check we'll, us out on Facebook. Yeah, we, we, we are using that as our main communication uh, avenue right now. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being here at Kingdom Link Podcast. We encourage you to get the word out. Share this with your, your friends. Uh, we are uh, about generational leadership and generational ministry. You know, here at Kingdom Link, we want to be a blessing to leaders and ministers of all ages. And uh, we also believe and maintain that leadership only matters if it is passed on. And so we want to invest in you and we want to help you. And you can help us by writing a review, uh, by sharing this and talking about it. And uh, let's get the word out and to help you be a better leader. God bless you today. We certainly do appreciate David being with you, and uh, we look forward to our next study in this amazing series of Kingdom Strategies, how we can learn from the seven churches of Revelation. God bless you. Until next time.